they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents asked, here's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Believing impossible things. There's a lot of people who think that that's what Christianity is about, that it's about denying the real evidence, denying the things that are clearly true, and then starting to believe a whole bunch of impossible things. In fact, some people would say that was the very definition of faith. They think that faith is about abandoning reason and believing things that you know couldn't possibly be true. Uh, In the book Alice Through the Looking Glass, Alice meets the White Queen and there's a a delightful conversation that takes place about believing impossible things. Let me read it for you. Uh, The White Queen says this to Alice. Let's consider your age to begin with. How old are you? I'm seven and a half exactly. Well, you don't need to say exactly, the Queen remarked. I can believe it without you saying that. Now I'll give you something to believe. I'm just 101, five months and a day. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you, said the Queen in a pitying tone. Try again, draw a deep breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. 
there's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I'd believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast. There's a lot of people who think that that's what Christianity is. Believing those impossible things. But the fact is, Christianity is not about believing impossible things. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's about seeing the reality and then accepting it. The Christian faith is about seeing things as they really are in the clear light of day. Now this morning we're looking further into John's Gospel and another one of the claims from Jesus that he is the light of the world. What John says is that when Jesus is the light, that's when you can see things as they really are. That's when you can actually see the truth of the world that we're living in. Now we left off John's Gospel a couple of weeks ago at the end of chapter 8 and Jesus had made that incredible claim there about being the light of the world. If you've got your Bible there, chapter 8, verse number 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Walk without Jesus and you're walking in darkness. And then he picks up that idea of being the light of the world again right at the beginning of chapter 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's an old saying which goes, there are none so blind as those who will not see. That could almost be the heading for chapter 9. Because that's the response that we see from the religious leaders here. They just refuse to see. They will not see the truth about Jesus. Jesus has said that he's the light of the world in chapter 8 and with every word that comes out of their mouths, these religious leaders just show how much they are in the dark. Throughout the rest of chapter 8, they criticise Jesus, they attack Jesus, they do everything that they can to discredit Jesus. They accuse him of being demon-possessed. At one point, they even pick up rocks because they want to stone him. They seem totally unwilling to see who Jesus really is. Jesus seems to demonstrate quite some remarkable patience with them. He tries to show them who he is, where he's come from, what he's come to do, and they don't want a bar of it. And then the battle continues in chapter 9. Now, right at the beginning of chapter 9, though, Jesus has a little conversation with his disciples. He needs to correct a bit of a misunderstanding that they have. You see it there right at the beginning, chapter 9, verse 1. As they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The assumption that the disciples make would have been a pretty common one at that time. Uh, like Rowan was saying before about that poor woman with the leprosy, it's considered to be the gods against them. So someone must have sinned, someone must have done the wrong thing. And that's what the disciples think as well. His condition must be some kind of a punishment from God, either against him for something that he's done, or possibly his parents for something that they have done. Now the point that Jesus makes is an important one. 
The blind man is not blind as a result of his sin or his parents' sin. And that's a point that Jesus makes in other places in the gospel as well. That neat equation of sin and suffering, well, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the whole book of Job is trying to tell us that that's not the way that it works in the world that we're in. Sometimes suffering is just because we live, for no other reason, just because we live in a broken world, a world where there is hardship and suffering. But Jesus says that in this particular man's situation, this blindness is an opportunity for God to be glorified, an opportunity for God's work to be displayed in his life. Now Jesus is not saying that every blind person is an opportunity for God's work to be displayed and that every blind person will be healed in this life, but it certainly is the case for this man. And as if to show just how blind they are, we see how the Pharisees respond to this healing. This is one of my favourite stories in John's Gospel. I'm looking forward to meeting this blind man in heaven and shaking his hand. The chapter starts with the disciples saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus saying, well, it's neither. It's just an opportunity for God's work to be displayed. Now, we're told that he's been blind from birth. In fact, we're told that four times in the chapter, just to make sure that that's driven home quite clearly. This is not some temporary blindness. This isn't something that's just wrong with his eyes for a few days. He's been blind his entire life. And Jesus heals him, enables him to see. Well, the Pharisees hear of what Jesus is supposed to have done and how do they respond? Do they rejoice that this man can now see, that he's been blind his entire life but now can see? Do they thank God about the wonderful thing that's happened? No, they're angry. And why are they angry? Well, I think it's partly because Jesus is now starting to make them look really stupid. I think that's got to be a part of it. But the other part is that Jesus has breached the Sabbath. Well, as far as they're concerned, he has anyway. There's actually no law against healing on the Sabbath. You won't find anything in the pages of the Old Testament that says that you can't heal on the Sabbath. Not even the extra rules that the Pharisees had come up with would preclude you from healing on the Sabbath. But there is a law that says that you're not to work on the Sabbath, and that's where they think they've caught Jesus out. See, He made mud on the Sabbath, and that would be considered work. He made this little mud poultice that he was going to put onto the eyes of this blind man. And see in verse 13, that's why they've actually called Jesus a a, a Sabbath breaker. Look what it says, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisee the man who'd been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. It's the whole mud-making thing. That's where they've got a bone to pick with Jesus. When they should be excited that a blind man has received his sight, they're angry that Jesus has made a little bit of mud. It's extraordinary, isn't it? They think that Sabbath observance is more important than this man's eyesight. There's a kind of a mock trial that takes place in this chapter in the passage that we just had read to us. The Pharisees, this time they want to get the evidence against Jesus. So first of all, they bring in the man who has been healed. They want to get him to say something bad about Jesus. They want him to incriminate Jesus. But the formerly blind man 
well, he says Jesus has got to be at least a prophet. He's got to be someone sent by God. Well, that wasn't the evidence the Pharisees were looking for. So in what can only be described as quite breathtaking blindness, they now start to deny that this man was ever blind. Verse 18. And the next thing they want to do is they want to get the parents in and they say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? Because we're not convinced of that right at the moment. How is it that he can now see? And the parents say, well, yes, he's our son. And yes, he was born blind. But as to how he can see, ask him yourself. He's a big boy. He'll be able to tell you how it happened. But they're fearful of the Pharisees, the parents. Did you see the little note in there? Uh, Verse number 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. When, When John uses that word Jews, he doesn't mean Jews generally. He means the Jewish leadership, the leadership of the church. The Pharisees is what he has in mind. His parents were afraid of the Jews, for they had, for, the, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Now, put out of the synagogue is not just taken outside the door. This meant that you would now be ostracised in the community. You would no longer be welcome in that synagogue or any synagogue. You would be a, an outcast. So the parents are fearful of what might happen to them. So they say, ask him yourself. He's old enough to answer. So they bring the blind man back in. The Pharisees are clearly not enjoying this. They seem to be getting nowhere. And all the evidence seems to be pointing in one direction that they are not interested in going in. So look at what they say to the man. Verse 24. A second time they summon the man who had been blind... Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And the blind man responds with the perfect answer. Verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. The passage has such a lovely touch of sarcasm in it. When the Pharisees question him further... This is what he says, verse 27. He said, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Well, that was it for the religious leaders. They're not going to listen to any more of this. They begin insulting the man, accusing him of setting the whole thing up, of being one of of Jesus' disciples. Verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are one of this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. They refuse to hear. They refuse to accept that Jesus could possibly have come from God. That's what they mean by we don't know where this man's come from. We don't know what his credentials are. We don't know what what it is that he's on about. And then the man responds in verse 30. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to, to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of the eyes 
being opened of a, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What does all the evidence point to, the blind man says? I mean, it's obvious really, isn't it? Jesus must be from God. If he wasn't, how could he do such things? So they throw him out of the synagogue. They refuse to be lectured by this upstart. They give him what his parents had feared. He will now be no longer welcome in the synagogue. And look at what they say, verse 34. You were steeped in sin at birth. Remember the question the disciples had right at the beginning? Whose sin was it that saw this man blind? Well, now the Pharisees are saying he's steeped in sin. John loves to do that. So the disciples were a little bit confused, wondering whose sin this might have been. Well, now the Pharisees are demonstrating that they haven't got a clue what's going on here, blaming this on this man's sin. And even their demand to give glory to God, that's what Jesus said this whole thing is about, so that God's work can be displayed, so that God can be glorified, but they refuse to to see it. Well, Jesus hears what has happened to this man and he finds him and speaks to him. Poor man's been caught in the middle of a fight that he really knew nothing about. He'd never even seen Jesus until the very end of this chapter. Remember, he was blind, he had the mud put on his eyes and was sent away. He wouldn't have even been able to pick Jesus out in the police lineup if the Pharisees had organised one. But look at what happens, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man hasn't only received his sight, he's received something far more important than that. He sees who Jesus really is. And he falls down and worships Jesus. Acknowledges that Jesus is God. So what are the lessons for us from this episode? Well, I've got two. I'm sure there's more, but I've got two. I think the first lesson is this. Following Jesus may have a cost. I think one of the reasons that this story is actually included in John's Gospel is that this man is probably the first example of suffering for your faith in Jesus. Up to this point, the religious leaders had been giving Jesus a hard time, even wanting to kill Jesus. But this man is the first one to be given a hard time because of his faith in Jesus. The first man to suffer because of his faith in Jesus. He's put out of the synagogue. No small thing in this man's life. There would have been people now who would no longer talk to him, no longer associate with him for fear of what the Pharisees might do to them. There would be plenty of places and not just the synagogue where he would no longer be welcome. And I'm sure that John wants to offer this man as an example. I mean, it's his great courage in the face of this persecution that we're supposed to admire. 
He doesn't back down. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't shy away from what he knows to be true. And I'm sure that's why he's included here as an example for us. Because we'll face the same thing. In fact, it's almost identical, isn't it? People who really don't have a clue about Jesus, but are all set to deny Jesus and will want to give us a hard time because of our faith in Jesus. But I think there's a second thing that we can learn from this passage. This man is a great example of the fact that you don't need to know everything about Jesus in order to be able to talk to other people about Jesus. All you need to know is the difference that he's made in your life. I mean, that's exactly what the blind man said, isn't it? Back in verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I think sometimes when it comes to talking to other people about what it is that we believe, we can be worried that they might ask a question that we don't know the answer to. We can be worried that we might not know all of the information that they would need, they would like to know. But did you notice how little this man knows about Jesus? The first time that he's taken into the Pharisees, he talks about the man they call Jesus. He wasn't even sure that that was his name. But he knew the change that had happened in his life. He knew that once he was blind, and now he can see. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to tell people as well. Not answer every single question, not know every single Bible verse, but tell people about the change that's happened in our life, the difference that Jesus has made to us. How knowing Jesus has given your life meaning. How knowing Jesus and knowing that you have eternal life has given you confidence in facing this life. That faith in Jesus has changed your life. So here's the man who's the great example for us in our Christian lives.